You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. One of the hardest things about finding out that your partner has had an affair is the shame and embarrassment talking about it because it makes you feel like you did something wrong, that somehow you weren't good enough and that you didn't keep them happy. And there's such a misperception in the world around what affairs are like and what it means when somebody has had an affair. That's why I have created a monthly support group for women who have been betrayed by their partner. It's for women who are really ready to move through the grief and the pain in a healthful way so they can claim what's possible for them on the other side of infidelity and betrayal as quickly and as healthily as possible. And part of that is having community, having community with people who were positive. There are so many online support groups where everybody's just really negative and grouchy and they just vent their own pain and they vomit their pain all over you. And this group is nothing like this. This group is honest. Yes, we're honest. But it's also about support and community and holding each other and building each other up. If this sounds like something that you would be interested in, go to www.com flourish after infidelity and sign up. When you sign up, you'll immediately get the Zoom link to our next meeting and then you will be in the loop and you will know when each monthly meeting is about to occur. I really look forward to having you there, to building this community of strong women together. And once again, it's www flourish after infidelity.com and we'll see you at our next meeting hello and welcome to flaunt create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal i'm laura Cheadle, and today we are going to talk about some really practical stuff we're going to talk about money finances divorce <laughs> separation of things like properties businesses, how to figure out like tax issues and a divorce financial checklist and just all of those practical things that if you're anything like me and a lot of the women that I work with kind of make your head start spinning. And if the truth be told, can also make you say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I just don't think I'm going to get a divorce right now because I can't figure this out. Today's guest is Lisa Ziderman, and she is the managing partner at Miller Ziderman, a matrimonial attorney, CFL, and certified divorce financial analyst. She regularly handles complex financial and custody divorce matters for high net worth individuals. So she really knows her stuff. And we're going to break it down today walk you through a lot of these things. So however you are feeling, it is my intent that you leave this show feeling better about yourself, your finances, and what you need to do. So welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you. Thrilled to be here and to be talking to you about all of this. Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? It is. It, it is. It, that's why it's complex. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's rewind. Let's get to the very beginning here and try to make it a little bit less complex. Where does one begin? You know, the people in my show, they have found out their partner has betrayed them. They are managing all of these different emotions. They might have to manage kids. Where Where do you even start in a circumstance like this? So I would say first thing is you need to take a deep breath. And you need to start to think about two areas. One is your children, if you have children, custody of your children. And the other is your um, assets, your liabilities, your income, and support. So it's about money, 
and children and not in that in that that not that necessarily in that order not necessarily in that order so i would say that those are the two most important things and i know it's hard but you need to focus on those two areas and try not to focus on the emotion of what's happening find a therapist find a great friend find a group to hang out with of, of friends or a support system, find a coach. Any of those people can help you through this. But your job right now is to focus on managing your children, managing your financial life, managing your career if you're working inside or outside of the home, and really making sure that at the end of the, all of this, you wind up in a good place. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the key. And I really love that you went there because um, as a former attorney myself, I work with a lot of attorneys and sometimes people will say, why do I need a coach and an attorney? Well, it's different sides of your brain. You, you've got the practical stuff. You've got your head over here and you've got your heart over here. And when you start intermingling the two, especially in a divorce or a custody or a financial situation, it's not going to serve you well. So yeah, both sides of your brain. You need to figure it out. So I love that you went there. That's very helpful. So then the next thing after you get over the shock and and emotional upset of it, and I don't know that you will, but the shock really, the surprise of it, that emotional reaction to it, then you need to start to think about what to do next. And so as I said, you should have a therapist, you should have a coach, you should have somebody who you're going to speak to. Um, but then you also need to be able to choose who is going to be your attorney, your advocate, your person who is going to essentially be the person that you're going to be relying on for the rest and the duration of this of this agony that you're going through, right? And it doesn't have to be pure agony because it's also the start of a whole new life and a whole new chapter. And so, you know, I've talked about the hopeful divorce and I've talked about starting out again. And in some ways you're starting out fresh, but you've learned a lot and you're going to learn a lot during your divorce that you're going to be able to utilize in various different parts of your life. So you should just keep that in mind. I went through my own divorce and, and frankly, I learned a lot as I was going through my divorce and I learned tools and, and strategies that I use now in, in my life that I used all through my life and in my business. So very important time to really pay attention to find a strong advocate and someone who you feel really will have your back. Yeah, I, I love that. And you know, advocate is one of my favorite words because so often, I think especially for women, we have this belief that fairy tales are kind of real <laughs> and that people will take care of us and that things will just work out. And, you know, I'm all about positive thinking and, and I'm all about mindset, but at the same time, things don't just work out unless we are advocating for ourselves, unless we are hiring somebody to advocate on our own behalf. And the reason that we need somebody is because they know the rules, they know the law, they know the structure, and we can't all be experts at everything. A hundred percent. So now you have found that, that great attorney. Right. And and I think that that's important. You're going to have um, several consultations with several attorneys, likely you're going to make a choice of who you really feel will have your back and you're going to identify what are the issues that you should be really focusing on during your divorce. So obviously, if you have children in custody, um, how you make decisions about your children, how the access schedule is going to go, those are really all very important issues. Then you're also going to, if there's been infidelity, you might be focusing on what we call a wasteful dissipation of assets, whereby perhaps your spouse was spending monies on someone outside of the marriage who maybe shouldn't have actually received some of the benefits of the marriage, such as, you know, dinners out or trips or gifts or any of those kinds of material items. And there's going to be a place and a time that you're going to try to quantify what is that number. Because in New York State, for example, we actually put that money back into the pot to be redivided. So that is important. And then you're going to focus on what are the assets, what are the liabilities. So 
There may be homes. There may be um, second homes. There could be investment properties. All of those are going to need appraisals. You're, there may be a business that one or both of you have. And so that actually will need to be valued. You may not agree on what your spending is like. And so you may need a forensic accountant or an accounting firm who can actually perform a lifestyle analysis and who could actually value the businesses or business so that there is an equitable distribution of those businesses. And equitable distribution is not the law in every state, but in New York state where I practice, it is the law. And so it's equitable, not necessarily equal. Um, and then figuring out what are the retirement accounts, what are the brokerage accounts, are there, um, you know, are people paid by W-2 wages, are they paid as a 1099, um, are they paid with a K-1, are there restricted stock units that need to be divided, and if so, when do they vest, according to what vesting schedule, are there bonuses involved, are there stock options? There's a host of different types of assets, and you need to find an attorney who understands each and every one of those assets, or at least can identify what the assets are and where that attorney should go to build a team out, essentially. And when I say build a team out, that's what I mean. So you might need the accounting firm. You might need a vocational analysis done. Um, you may need um, a tax expert. You might need somebody who can divide the retirement accounts via qualified domestic relations order so that there aren't tax consequences. So that attorney should be actually able to build your team. And I'm so glad that you talked about a team because too often people think, well, my lawyer can figure it out. Well, somebody valued it and, and that's it. That's what it is. But the time is now. The time is to figure it out. The time is to get those experts in line to do all your arguing <laughs> right now instead of saying, well, I just got divorced because you can't just be divorced and then say, I'm going to go back and redo it because now I'm calmed down emotionally. So now I really know what I want. You got to know it now. That is such a really excellent point, because I think that what happens is people feel pressure or they feel that they need to finish up and they have to understand it's a one time event and that finishing quickly is not necessarily finishing best yes. and that this is really a marathon, not a sprint and that they are going to need to take the time to do the work that's involved. And I do have so many people who come to me and they say, I want this done like right away. Well, it can't necessarily be done right away. First of all, it takes time sometimes to unwind the marriage that is long. And it also takes time to identify the assets and it takes time to quantify things and it takes time to figure out, well, what is the custody arrangement and what should it be? And maybe the first instinct isn't necessarily the best instinct as to how custody should be dealt with. <clears throat> so it's really important that there is some time that passes because that also lets things play out. Everything does not have to get done tomorrow. So important. And rewinding back to the very beginning of the show, when you said the first thing to do is take a breath. The first thing to do is always take a breath. You can think about it. You can share with your attorney what you're thinking about. Then you can step back for a week before you actually send a letter, before you file, before something happens. It's important to sit with it. Now, I want to tag up on two different things that you mentioned earlier, because I want to make sure listeners understand first, the difference in law in different states. And then second, the distinction between equitable and equal, because I, I want to make sure everybody knows those two things. Okay. So first of all, in certain states, the law is equitable distribution, which means that for each of the assets, you look at what is the contribution um, of each of the parties to the asset. And it doesn't necessarily mean that just because an asset is tiled in one party's name, that that party gets the asset. There may be indirect or direct contributions to that asset. And 
title does not necessarily dictate how the asset is divided. There are other states, however, where um, there is community property and it may be a 50-50 division of most or all of the assets. And states such as California, which is not an equitable distribution state, it is a very different look at how the assets are divided. So you need to make sure that you are following the law in the given state where you reside. And make sure that you find an attorney who obviously is knowledgeable about that law in that particular state. That shouldn't be a very difficult idea. Um, but it is definitely different. And it does not actually um, mean that everybody is getting 100, you know, 50% uh, of the assets. You asked about equitable distribution versus equal distribution. So in New York State, which is an equitable distribution state, we always say that equitable doesn't mean equal. So for example, if you have a business and you are the person who is running the business day to day, and you are the person who's putting in all the long hours and doing all of the hard work, and your spouse may be contributing by, for example, taking care of the children, or um, you know, taking care of you, or supporting you, or having a dialogue with you about the business, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a 50% um, division of the value of that business asset. There may be a larger division as that spouse is more involved. So perhaps the spouse worked in the business from time to time or worked in the business full time. Division will probably be higher than it would be if the spouse didn't work in the, in the actual business. It may be higher if the marriage is longer or if there were children or if there were other reasons that the spouse actually, who is not titled to the business, who actually contributed to you growing your business. And so that's important. And that's what equitable distribution really is about. So there are a whole set of factors that we look at in determining what should be the division of the assets, including whether there are children, including whether there's a long marriage, including whether there is, um, you know, a relate a financial relationship between the parties, including how they filed their tax returns, how they were paying for their expenses, how they treated property, and you know, property within the marriage. So all of those things are going to be important, and they're going to be very fact based. And that is how equitable distribution is actually arrived at. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you for clarifying that. I wanted to make sure everybody understood what we were talking about. And this is stuff you can have a consultation with attorney and an attorney. You can hire an attorney to counsel you on what it might look like if. Just because you are going to an attorney, just because you retain an attorney, doesn't mean you have to follow through with a divorce if you change your mind. I always recommend have consultations with attorneys, financial planners, see what it looks like. It might change your decision. It just might. And that's okay too, because knowledge is what really matters. I agree that it is so important to do and to do your homework. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So after you have built your team, you're kind of figuring out what this is going to look like. You're sitting with things. You've got your kids, your assets. Then how does this play out? What happens next? So the next piece of this is you're probably going to be faced with filling out what we call a net worth statement. This is the bane of everyone's existence, this net worth statement. I've had clients who say that they want to pull out their hair. Um, it, is, it is not an easy document. I'm going to say that. But it really gives you a full picture of your financial situation. And it is so important because it will actually make you look at what is your spending every month. What is the burn rate that you're going to be actually facing in terms of carrying a home? What are the real estate taxes? What's the mortgage? What does it look like in terms of maintenance of the home? Groceries, vacations, all of those things are going to be actually on the net worth statement. And it is actually a good opportunity to see what is your real lifestyle. Now, after that, you're going to go to the next section of the net worth statement, which is the assets. And then the liabilities, what debts do I have? What assets do I have? And then when we take both people's net worth statements, which they will be exchanged, they are sworn to under oath, which is key. And you're now going to be able to see what your spouse says in, in his or her net worth statement. 
sometimes the expenses are actually very similar and we, there's not that large a gap. And it just looks like people are spending a lot of money. Sometimes it looks like there is a huge gap and we have a disconnect as to what is really going on. Maybe somebody wants to underplay the expenses that are being actually um, actually necessary to run the household because they don't want to pay as much support. And so they may actually leave out a lot of expenses. That's why we do the next process, which is the discovery. Yes. So we actually ask for certain documents, which is essentially the backup to the net worth statement and perhaps documents that we need to conduct a business valuation or an income stream analysis, credit card statements, bank statements, brokerage statements, offer letters for employment, contracts, all of those important documents so that we can analyze what is the financial state. Now, for example, I didn't get documents in a case that I'm working on, and it looks like that person, you know, the other side, has not actually revealed, because I actually did subpoena documents after I didn't get them, right? Very important to actually go to that next step. Just because you don't give me the documents doesn't mean I won't get them. Yeah. So, right, that's that's the key. And now I have the documents and I analyze the documents and we determine, well, was the person truthful or not truthful on the net worth statement? Are there assets that actually have been left off the net worth statement? Do I look at I look at the tax returns? I look at the schedules to see, well, were the dividends and distributions from certain assets that were not accounted for on the net worth statement? Are there big withdrawals? Are there cash withdrawals? All of these things are part of the discovery process. And then after we gather all the discovery, we do what are called depositions. And the depositions are a place to ask questions under oath of each of the parties so that we can actually learn about what the financial situation is. And something I want to hop in with too, in case listeners are thinking, well, yeah, but you wouldn't believe what my partner did. If somebody has been employed the entire marriage at X number of dollars <laughs> salary and they voluntarily or maybe involuntarily leave work, but get a very low paying job or get no, have no job. Income can be imputed to them. It's not that somebody can just say, well, yeah, but now I'm flipping burgers at McDonald's and I, I only make this much, so I can't pay you. The law, the courts, the system is designed to bring equity to the parties. So whatever your spouse is pulling, yes, it might take a while. Yes, you might need an attorney, a financial analyst, whatever, but it will, I, I don't want to say you will be brought to justice because that just sounds like two <laughs> goody tissues, but it can be managed. Whatever your soon-to-be ex-spouse is doing, it can be managed. It can be a pain, but it can be managed. Yes, and look, the court will have the authority to impute income if they believe that your spouse is not really being honest and forthright about the income that he or she could be earning. So the court has the ability to impute income. So it'll be, you will be taken care of. It can take a while, but you need to know what's going on, have qualified counsel and advocate for what you need and for what you deserve. That's, that's correct. Yeah. So after discovery, we're going through the depositions. We might have to subpoena documents. We figure out what is going on with our partner, our soon-to-be ex-partner. We figure out what's going on with us. We've got ourselves balanced. Then what happens in that process? So at that point, you have enough information for hopefully a resolution to the case. And that is a good time to start to think about how do I want to resolve this, this case? How can I actually bring this to closure? I've got my discovery. I can account for all the assets. I can account for the expenses. I know what support I will likely need um, or that I will likely pay, depending upon which side of this you are on, right? And now it's time to start to think about how do I bring this to a resolution? And the same will go for the custody piece of it. How do I bring that to a resolution? And that's the time to start to exchange settlement proposals, ideas about how to actually resolve the case, maybe actually have some strategies, some creative ideas about 
um, issues where there are tax issues or where maybe one spouse will want a particular asset because it's got an emotional component to it, or maybe it makes sense for one spouse to be in the school district. All of those kinds of things are going to be important. And so that's the time to, to sit down with your attorney and to help create a proposal. And then there should be some sort of a negotiation likely and mm -hmm. hopefully a resolution. If there's not, you have now prepared your case to go to a courthouse, okay, where there will be a judge who can either help you settle the case or bring the case to a trial. And it may be one or the other. But I think what's important is, and it, it really is important to stress, that what a lot of people are afraid of is going to court. And I'm going to say that court is not a place to be fearful. Court does not necessarily make it more expensive. Court is not necessarily a bad thing. And I know a lot of people think that, you know, court means it's going to be expensive. Court means it's going to drag out. Court means that, you know, you're going to spend all of this money. Well, you could just as well end up spending all this money, time and effort and not getting anywhere if you don't have the court to set real deadlines. And sometimes what people learn is after they've spent time either through mediation or collaboration that they didn't get anywhere and that they actually need the structure of the court to help them move this case to the end. Yeah. And I also want to be clear, you can decide many, 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 many pieces. You can have custody things in place. You can have maintenance pieces in place. You can have asset distribution in place, but you might just have a few sticking points. So it's not like it's an all or nothing. You can make decisions along the way, button that up and, and, and move on. Uh -huh. Yes. And, and that's the part about court that people don't understand. It's not a runaway train. You can get off the train at some point and settle your case. Even if you're going to trial, you can get off the train and settle your case. But you need to have sometimes that structure. Yeah. I, I love that you use that analogy, get off the train and that structure, because there is that constant tension between I need enough time to process this and, oh my gosh, we've been at this for four years. This is getting ridiculous. Yes. And, and look, during COVID, things got longer and things were more backlogged. And it does sometimes take a while to get through the process. But on the other hand, there's really not that many choices of how to get through the process. You know, people go to mediation and 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 sometimes that's fine. But sometimes it's not, frankly. Sometimes they don't have the discovery or the information or the um the way the way to actually learn about what assets, what liabilities, what what the burn rate is, they may be sitting in a room and they can't advocate for themselves because their spouse may be far more knowledgeable about the finances than they are. And that is a problem when you're sitting in a room and your spouse is far more knowledgeable and frankly, far more outspoken and is sucking up the you know air in the room and you're not really getting your point across, maybe it's time to rethink the concept of mediation and maybe it's time to get an advocate. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Because two different things that I want to say about that. First is, if you need time to educate yourself, that's a different story than just endlessly dragging your feet because you don't want to deal with something because it hurts and you're afraid you're going to make the wrong decision. If you need some time to educate yourself, hire an advocate, take a class, get a coach, whatever it is, by all means, do what it takes to educate yourself. But you're right. We can't just well, mediation is the way to go, or I'm saving money by settling quickly. Let me tell you, it's far more costly to restructure a, like a custody arrangement a year later than it is to just maybe spend two more months or go to trial or figure something out right now. You're already in it right now. That, that is so true. And people just don't realize that. I can't tell you how many people come to us and they have signed agreements that they wish they didn't sign or the agreements were not even written correctly. And now it's just a big, hot mess. And the amount of time and money to unwind all of that is just, it makes no sense to have done that. 
but they wanted to get it done quickly. They felt that they could get it done themselves. They felt they could get it done through mediation. They felt that they just needed to get it finished. And, and that wasn't really the way to go because they're back. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, like getting off the train, even if you hire a lawyer or a financial analyst or have somebody on your team and you're not gelling with them, you're not, you're not feeling the love you are not obligated to continue with them forever. You can get new people on your team. Yes, it might cost you a little bit more. Yes, it might take a little bit longer, but you need to be very comfortable with your team and very sure that they have your back. So that's 100% true. I will say this as a caveat. You you don't want to be one of those people who has gone through attorney number three or four or five because then there is usually an issue. And judges don't appreciate those changes. And it is extremely costly because somebody has to relearn your case each time. So you should choose wisely. And you have to accept the fact that your attorney is there to help you. And that while you may not be getting everything that you wish you could get, this is really not about your wish list. It is about the reality of what there is to get and what the law provides. Yeah. Thank you for that caveat, because yes, and same thing, if you're out attorney shopping and an attorney says, oh, wow, I'm attorney number four, they're going to be a little hesitant to take your case too. Yes, that is <laughs> that is absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, something else that I kind of want to have you shed light on, because you just said some magic words. Your attorney is there to help you face reality, to teach you what what you will realistically get or not get. This show is focused on infidelity. So many people who have been through infidelity want to punish. Yeah, use the courts as like a way to air the dirty laundry and to punish and say, yeah, but she's the cheater. He's the cheater. They did that. Let's talk about that because that's not what court's for. Correct. So- In New York, as in many states, um, the court is really not going to look into the actual marriage, okay? The, The issue is, again, your children and your finances. And you may have had various different issues in your marriage, but the court can't take that all apart. They can't decide that um, you know, your spouse was having an affair and therefore your spouse is bad. Um, or that you should have been more um, more supportive and then your spouse wouldn't have had the affair or any of these things, right? The, the concept that the court can look at is, has the affair actually interfered with parenting mm-hmm. in some way? Was, did, it, did your children get exposed in some way to it? Or was there a lack of parenting because the person who was having the affair was so busy with the person that they were having the affair with that they weren't spending the time with the children? That's definitely something that the court can look at. And then, of course, how much did this affair cost? Okay. Were you, know, were you traveling? Look, I've had clients who have spent, frankly, millions of dollars, okay, on affairs, Okay, or I've represented wives whose husbands have spent millions of dollars on on affairs. I had one client whose husband had a spreadsheet of all the money that he spent on his affair. Well, how handy. (laughs) How handy. And on that spreadsheet, he would also list all of her expenses. So he had it like categorized by 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 which woman it was. Okay, A, a bit insane. Okay. okay, but very handy to actually quantify. Yes. And he was pretty accurate. So again, it's it is focusing on what the issues are and getting to the heart of the matter. Speak to your therapist about the affairs. Speak to your therapist about how you feel about it. Obviously, it's hurtful. It's emotional. It's all of those things. But that is not something that you want to spend your attorney's fees on. And it's not something that the court is going to be super interested in. So you need to, to, to just come to grips. You also need to be realistic about what the goals are and what you can really obtain in a divorce. And having goals that are not obtainable 
or attainable is just not something that actually works because you're going to spend a lot of money and you're not going to get there. So you need to be realistic about it. Yeah, because one of the things you hear so often when somebody finds out that, you know, somebody's somebody's partner's had an affair, you go, girl, you take them for all they're worth. You do that. Well, that's not it's not about punishing them and taking them for all they're worth. It's about advocating zealously (laughs) for what you are entitled to. But it's it's not for more than that. Exactly. Exactly. And and, you know, look, I always say I'm not running a popularity contest, which I'm not. Okay, I'm very honest about what I think um, is going to be realistic goals in a divorce. And we tell people from the beginning what the range is is likely to be from the information that we have at the time. Now, it could change because more information could come to light. And we don't have I always say my crystal ball is black because it is. I don't have one. I don't know what particular, um, you know, things I'm going to find in discovery. I certainly don't know which judge is going to be on the case. Different different judges have different views of certain things. And you have to realize that they are human beings also, and that they may have feelings about certain things as well. And so all of these are factors, how you're going to um, act in a deposition whether you're going to look cooperative, whether you're not going to look cooperative, how you're going to answer the questions, how your spouse answers the questions, all these things are part of it. And those are things that I can't predict when we're sitting in the room during the first consultation. Right, right. But again, you can use your best estimate. You can give people a range so then people understand, hey, this is what I'm looking at. Because part of the overwhelm, I think, is not knowing exactly what I want to do. Do I want a divorce? Do I not want a divorce? What does it look like if I divorce? How do I want? So having those ranges, having just sometimes your best guess, this is the process. It's, it might take this long to this long. You might be getting this long. It's, it just helps. It's information. When we have information, we are better equipped to make decisions. And let's And just to talk about information. So there are times when people come to me and they really don't have any idea of what the assets liabilities spending is because they have been shut out. And there is a, um, there is certainly a type of abuse, financial abuse that occurs in some marriages. And it's important that we recognize that. And it's important that we discuss it because there may be a situation where you don't have that information, that control, that financial informations to actually impart to your attorney. You need to be honest about that situation with your attorney so that they know what's going on. Sometimes that financial abuse also extends to physical and emotional abuse. And so it's also very important to be honest about that. And I know it's very difficult for people to sometimes admit that they have been um, abused, but it is, it is important, actually, for your attorney to know this, because that also could be a factor in both support and equitable distribution of assets. So, um, and look, it is something that I am very passionate about. I actually am vice president of a board of um, a, a, an entity, a non-for-profit called Savvy Ladies, that we actually work with women. Um, And we have a free helpline for women to call in to get financial advice with financial professionals one on one. And so that is something that, you know, you need to be honest with your attorney and you need to actually say that you don't have the information and why you don't have the information and be honest with yourself. I am so glad you said that because especially when you feel like you've been victimized in the case of infidelity or betrayal, we want to empower ourselves and we want to be like, yeah, I've got this. And sometimes the worst thing that we would feel like saying is, and I wasn't in charge of the money. I did this piece and I just didn't know. And it feels embarrassing and it feels shameful and it feels like all of these things. So we want to pretend I'm capable. I'm confident. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. And that is absolutely not in our best interest. And you will not be shamed. You will not be judged. Things are divided in marriages. So one person does this, somebody does this. If you don't know the finances, you don't know the finances. Whether or not there was abuse, if you don't know it, you got to talk about it. 
And then moving into financial abuse, I think some listeners ears might be going, oh, what? Wait, what actually is that? Have I been financially abused? Can you give us just a little definition of what that means and what that might look like? So people might be able to say, oh, maybe that is me. So it is actually a lack of control and a lack of access to your finances. So it it could look like a lot of things. It, it could literally look like you could, you are not given any of the money that you earn. So you literally are, are, are told or it's demanded that you hand over the money that you earn every week. And then you are given a very small allowance, an allowance that actually does not allow you to even get food or gasoline or any of the essentials um, to the extent that you really need them. And as a result, you become very dependent on the other person for the essentials to live. It may be that you are not allowed to utilize a credit card or your limit is very low, although there may be sufficient funds to have a higher limit. Or um, it may be that you don't get to have your name on any of the accounts and you don't get the passwords to those accounts. And you don't know whether you have $2 um, to your name or you have a million dollars to your name. It's just you don't know because no one has actually, your spouse is not giving you access to that information. They hide the information. They won't let you have the password. They change the passwords if you know the passwords. They literally will not give you the information and the control so that you can lead your life. And that is abusive. And you can't move. You can't essentially control or um, work through your life. You might not be able to get childcare for your child so that you could go out to work to earn the money so that you could actually have financial independence. That's a problem. So, it, it, you know, I don't know if you've seen there's a Netflix series um, called Made, and it actually is about a woman, it's a true story, and it is about a woman who was both financially abused and physically abused as a result. But it is a very um, it is a very important story, and it's a true story. And she ends up writing about it, and then ends up with a series, right? That yeah. uh, is aired. So at the end of the day, it's very successful for her. But it shows exactly her journey of how to deal with with this financial abuse. And um, as I said, there are a lot of women who are survivors of financial abuse and survivors of domestic violence, but they have to face that that's, that is what actually is going on in their lives and that they need to get help. Yeah. And, you know, I want to wrap up with this concept, too, because it kind of plays into this. You deal with high assets, high net worth. We have in our society, I believe, kind of this belief that if you're pulled together, if you have money, if it looks good on the outside, everything is good and healthy and wonderful on the inside. There is no emotional abuse. There is no physical abuse. There might not be infidelity because you have money, because things look good. That happens to other people. That happens to trashy people. That happens to people who aren't educated. When it happens to everyone, it happens across all political, socioeconomic, religious, it happens to everybody. And I would just like to talk a little bit about that, the, the feelings that some people might be feeling when they come in to see you, whether it's to, you know, around the finances or the legal aspects, the shame that people might be feeling that, oh my God, this is happening to me. What do you notice yeah. around that? So look, I, I think that sometimes people don't admit um, at the beginning that they have been abused. Maybe they don't even recognize it because it's happening so often. And there are a lot of, believe it or not, professional women that I represent who earn actually the lion's share of the um, of the monies that are coming into the household, who are financially abused and who may be physically or emotionally abused as well. And so it really can happen to everyone. It happens to professionals, to lawyers, to accountants, to um, you know, financial advisors. It is not something that is um, you know, for people who actually 
don't have the wherewithal to earn or don't have savings. It is, um, we have high net worth people who don't have control of their finances, don't have access, aren't given credit cards, cut or they have their support cut back year after year until they have no money. And yet there is literally millions of dollars sitting there. So, but they have no idea that there's millions of dollars are sitting there. And so they're actually surprised because they have been told that there's nothing for them and that there will never be anything for them. And that if you leave me, there's nothing for you and you'll never get a dime because it's all mine. And that is not accurate. And so they need to actually, those women need to seek counsel, lawyers, therapists, et cetera, so that they can actually understand their situation and feel more empowered. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because with the people that I work with, that's what come what comes out so often is I'm so, I don't know how I got here. I'm smart. I'm educated. I'm powerful. And I don't know how I got here. And it's like, you're not alone. <laughs> It's okay. What what matters is now that you're speaking your truth, you're talking about it, and you're getting the help that you need. That's what matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, to wrap up, do you have any words of wisdom on like the top three things people need to do when thinking about this or the top three things not to do or something like that? Can you leave us with a really powerful nugget? So I, I would say this, first of all, be very careful about the things that you say and do and write. Yeah. Because during a during your marriage and during your divorce, um, it's going to be very important how you conduct yourself. And so you may be very angry that your spouse has had an affair, but you need to use good judgment about how to react to that. And keep in mind that what you write, what you text, what you say – all could be actually something that a judge hears later and says, hmm, that doesn't sound like that was good judgment. Did you say that in front of the kids? And so really important. Also, don't disparage your co-parent. Make sure that although you may be very angry about an affair, you may be very angry about various things, make sure that you understand that this is your child's other parent and that your child comes from both of you. And therefore, you need to keep in mind that you need to foster a relationship with that parent. Yes. The, I would say the third thing is try to keep track of your finances <laughs> because it's really important to be financially savvy. It's important to become financially literate. Don't let somebody take control of your finances. That is not a good idea. Having your own bank account, making sure that your name is on a joint bank account, making sure that you see the credit card statements and understand the financial aspects of your marriage. That's really important. Don't just pass it off to someone to do. Don't give it to your spouse and say, oh, you're in charge. Make sure, even though maybe somebody's paying the bills or somebody's managing an account, make sure that you are staying in touch with your finances. Yeah. Well, well, well said. Great advice. Um, especially just that being aware, being aware. It's so easy to be overcome with emotion. It's just so easy. And yeah, what you say and what you do and what you write absolutely matters. And it'll come back to bite you. So thank you for that. Where, thank you. Yeah. Where can people learn more about you or if they're in New York, reach out for a consultation or learn more, all of that good stuff. So they can actually go to my website, lisaziderman.com, um, and they can go on and they can actually ask for a consultation. They could also email me at lz at mzw-law.com, or they can call my office at 914-455-1000 and ask for a consultation. Absolutely fantastic. And just to be clear, Lisa is in New York. So no, she cannot handle your case if you're in a different state, <laughs> but if you are in New York, reach out to her and this information is useful wherever you're at, whether you're a community property state or equitable, equitable distribution. This has been an interesting and informative podcast, and I hope you feel a little more calm, a little more like, okay, yeah, there's steps. There is a process. It's not just, oh my God, I have to figure it all out now. There's this, then there's this, then there's this. 
You can hop off the train at any time, whether that looks like mediation, settlement, remarriage, getting back. You can, this is your life. Educate yourself, empower yourself, go forth and be strong. (laughs) So have an amazing week. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Relationship issues impact every area of your life. When I found out about my husband's infidelity, I was so devastated. I could barely function. Sleeping was impossible because I couldn't shut off my brain. Eating was a challenge because I felt nauseous all the time. And for the first month or so, everything felt pointless. Whether you're having trouble sleeping, feeling hopeless, or just can't focus, BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. You can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that might not be available in your area. Just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you'll be matched with a therapist in under 24 hours. Then you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. I know that confidentiality was important for me, especially early on when I couldn't even get my own mind wrapped around what was happening, and it was so comforting to be able to speak with someone candidly about everything I was going through, to validate that what I was feeling and experiencing was completely normal. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Special offer. To flaunt, create a life you love after infidelity and betrayal listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash flaunt. That's betterhelp.com slash flaunt, F-L-A-U-N-T. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com. 